Welcome to Beware the Wild Animals. We're a community of people living our one wild life with purpose and passion. Everyone has a story, and sometimes these stories are a little crazier and more wild than you'd expect. Get ready for adventures, excitement, challenging opinions, and lots of rule breaking. Hang on tight, it's gonna be a bumpy ride. Welcome, Rebels. Thanks for being here on another episode of Beware the Wild Animals. So glad that you're joining us today. And um, this one is a, a very special episode from my heart. Um, there, there's a, a lot of history with my guest today. So let me give you her bio and we'll get started. Jamie Presser is originally from Connecticut, but she attended nursing school in Virginia, which is where she also started her career as a registered nurse. For the past four years, she's been a travel nurse living all over the country in places such as Alaska, California, Washington, Arizona, and Idaho, plus more. Um, last year, though, she decided to attempt one of her dreams completing a through hike called the Pacific Crest Trail. For the past year, she's been preparing by researching, acquiring gear and training. She started the epic journey in May of two, uh, 2023, this year. And as of this recording on October 19th, um, she finished, what, a week ago? Yep, October 12th. October 12th. Okay. So welcome, Jamie. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm so glad that you're here. And so like I mentioned, um, this is definitely an episode that touches my heart because I'll let everybody know that um, I have known Jamie since she was two or three years old, <laughs> something along those lines. And I have watched her from afar grow up to be the beautiful woman that she is today. So um, I'm I'm very happy to have her as a guest and um, blessed by it as well. So again, welcome. Thanks. We're so glad you're here. Thank you so much. It's just so good to see you and talk to you too. I know. Yes, it is. <laughs> so, okay. Um, our podcast is called Beware the Wild Animals. And obviously from the bio, we, we kind of have an idea as to how that pertains to you. But before you get into the big, you know, the the big trek, uh, tell us a little bit about being a visiting nurse and some of the places that you have been uh, located. Um, yeah, so like you said, yeah, I've been traveling um, mainly out west for the last four, four and a half years, uh, which has been an adventure in its own, you know, picking up my life every few months. Um going all over to different hospitals, working at different places, meeting all different kinds of people, um, which has been an amazing way to see the country. Um, you know, my, I, my first drive was, I drove from my home in Connecticut all the way out to Phoenix, Arizona. I had never been before. Um, and yeah, I get to spend, you know, instead of just like a little weekend trip, getting to explore and experience a new place, I get to live there and really become a part of the community for a few months at a time. So it's, it's been awesome seeing places like, yeah, Arizona, Alaska. I lived in a tiny island called Sitka in Alaska for, for three months. And just, it's been amazing knowing that I've been getting to experience all these different places that not many people get to do um, 
in their life and get to live there for, for a few months at a time. So yeah, I've been very lucky to explore. I, um, so obviously I follow you on, on social to keep up with all your goings on. And I remember seeing one of your posts where you were, and it, you did a couple of them because you lived there obviously for a little while, but um, you were sitting in a hot spring with all the snow around you on like a mountain side or a mountaintop or something. Do you remember that post? Do you remember which picture I'm talking about? I think that was in Idaho, actually. Idaho is very known for its hot springs um, and it's very beautiful. Not a lot of people know Idaho. People think Idaho is like a really very random place, but yeah, it's very beautiful. Lots of natural hot springs. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I loved it enough where that is now my home base, but most people did question, you know, why are you going to Idaho or why are you going all the way to Alaska? And it's funny to hear people question why I want to, you know, just decide to pick up and leave to a completely new state and city and environment. And that's why I get to see places like that and explore places that not many people get to see. So the exploration is your why? That that was the main reason. Yes. Yeah. Well, you're definitely exploring a lot. That's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's a wide range of being in the middle of nowhere in Idaho sometimes to also living in San Francisco. So I've I've definitely tried to dabble into both like city and um, really backcountry. So yeah, I, I like to have a wide range of exploring. So I don't know if you know, but my last guest was also a traveling nurse. Yeah, and um, Sarah. Is, you know, she was enjoying the the traveling with her family. Um, and um, it's just funny to see that you, you wouldn't think nurse and put it with exploration so much, you know, not normally, obviously a traveling nurse, but then even then, you know, you think of, well, this is just somebody that like maybe wanders around the state, but you're getting the whole country and, you know, from, from, most north to, you know, to um, south on, on that same coast, you know, and, and the west. But you guys are like um, the perfect poster children for people wanting to become a traveling nurse. I mean, you're really getting to to um, have a, a great life through that occupation. Absolutely. And I mean, people do it for travel nurse specifically for so many different reasons, whether it's the um, financial freedom or just freedom to, for example, take off six months and hike the Pacific Crest Trail. You know, I'm lucky that I didn't have to really quit a job. I just decided not to sign another contract and I can just look for another one when I'm ready. So it's amazing being able to have that flexibility. Um and it sounds like, I, I think from when I listened to your previous guest, did she travel around in an RV or a van or something, which is so cool. I know so many people do that as well. Um, I, I've just looked for, you know, short-term furnished housing in all these different cities I've lived. But yeah, the, the main thing was the exploration. And um, I love my family and I love Connecticut, but I knew I didn't want to live there forever. Um, so I didn't really know where I wanted my home to be. And I thought, you know, I'm a nurse and I'm able to do this travel nursing. So why not, you know, test out all these cool different places and see if any of them really feel like, like home. And that's what I did. And I had fun doing it. And luckily I did find that in Idaho that this is home now, but um, 
yeah, that was the main reason. I just didn't really have anything to lose. And I felt like I was young and wanted to see and do. And I've met a lot of really amazing people along the way. So, yeah. Specifically your partner that you mentioned, right? (laughs) Yeah. It was, it's been interesting. I traveled for mainly the first two years, um, by myself and single and same, same thing. I met a lot of great people, but I came to Idaho and he was a staff nurse. Um, so I met him while we were working. Um, and yeah, I, I convinced him to also travel nurse. So it's been fun doing it with a partner too. It's been able to, it's been very, I've been very lucky that I've gotten to experience both. Um, and that we have the opportunity to travel together. Um, yeah. So I feel very lucky. That's so awesome. That's a, and and that you guys can do that together is really cool. Because then, I mean, honestly, I'm not, you know, purposely stepping on toes or anything, but if things were to progress to the next stage in your relationship, <laughs> having a family uh, in that same situation would be a lot easier because you're both on that same um that same road, you know, basically. Absolutely. I mean, even just the experience we've had so far, you know, it's we're we're in this together, right? We pick up our lives, we put them in our two cars, we drive them to our location, we move, have to acclimate with our dog getting used to the new house and the new environment and starting a new job together. So, you know, you really have to, you know, I think we have a very strong foundation. You kind of have to have a strong foundation because you're, it's a lot of new things. It's a lot of new personalities at work and new policies at work that you're really having to learn together and kind of lean on each other because sometimes we're the only people we know in that city. Um, so yeah, it, it's been challenging, but we're we're really lucky that we get to do it together. That's awesome. Good for you. Yeah. So you kind of handled a couple of things. We know how uh, um, you cut, how you got started on your, your REPL road. And obviously, I I know your parents. So how were they? How did they react to all of these things that you've undertaken? How did they react to um, the travel nurse, but then also just, you know, relocating to the West Coast, you know, that because you like you say, that's your home base now. Are they supportive? Absolutely. So they've they've been supportive, but I will say... um, So really the reason actually I got into travel nursing was because I had applied and been accepted to graduate school to become a nurse practitioner when I was living in Virginia. And once I got accepted, I realized how not excited I was for that. So I kind of was like, okay, if I'm not going to go to grad school, I need to do something else, something like else exciting, um, which is when I chose travel nursing, because I realized I didn't actually want to go to grad school. And when I told my parents, you know, of course, their first response was, oh, but you just got into grad school. Like you could, things could be so much easier, you know, not that school would have been easy, but if you had just taken this road, this would be so, you would, you would be set, you would have a master's and all of that. So I think at first they were just really questioning, like, oh, like, are you really sure you don't want to pursue becoming a nurse practitioner. And I think a travel nurse wasn't a super well-known path at the time. I think after COVID, um, people were talking about travel nursing much more. But at first, my parents were like, travel nursing? Like, what if they, what if they make you go somewhere terrible in the middle of nowhere in South Dakota? You know, they just didn't really understand. 
course, as any, you know, loving parent, they, they just were concerned. They just didn't know a lot about it. But I think that once they saw that I was doing my research and that I was going to be safe and, you know, after, after the first few months, they became more comfortable with it. But um, of course, they were always supportive. I think they just had questions and it was mainly pertaining to me moving to a completely new city alone. Um, so that was it. But yeah, they, they've been supportive. Same thing with the Pacific Crest Trail. I think at first they were like, wait, what? Like, don't you just settle down already? <laughs> okay. All right. So you brought it up. So let's let's dive into that. What specifically, I know you said it was a goal, but why? Why specifically the Pacific Crest Trail? Um, I think I just loved the idea of waking up and going to sleep in beautiful places, different beautiful places every every night. And I had never, like I had always been into camping and like short backpacking trips, but really nothing like this. And um, I just love the idea that, you know, you're you're starting from the desert. And then by the time you end up in Washington, the scenery has changed so much. I just love the idea of being able to be being able to experience, you know, from Mexico to Canada and all in between. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, I just, I love the idea of just making the outdoors my home for five to six months um, and seeing what I could do. And you did this alone. I Techn- did. St- technically, you started alone. Technically, yes. And the um, the Pacific Crest Trail is a very social trail. So there's lots of other people that do it. But yes, for the most part, I was on my own. You know, some people do it um, with friends or with their partner, um, but I, I chose to do it alone. And yeah, to really test myself to see what, see if I can best listen to myself for me to know what was going to be best for me. How was I going to have the most fun? How was I going to successfully reach the end of the trail? Right. So I really had to dig deep and um, I wanted that challenge. And that was certainly what I got. So what in your background prepared you for that, for like the beginning, the undertaking? So nothing in my background with backpacking, because I don't recommend this for people, but my longest backpacking trip was a one night trip. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to go out there for five months. I know. I don't recommend that. But I think, honestly, travel nursing, just knowing that I had been challenged so much over the last four years. No, it wasn't living outdoors, but I was being plopped in these new work environments, you know, hit the ground running, adapt or adapt or die kind of thing. You know, you have to adapt to all these very different personalities and work environments. And I knew that. I was a flexible and adaptable person. So I think, yeah, probably just travel nursing in general, but not the living outside part. <laughs> okay. So um, in general, the the living outside, you're in a tent at night, mm-hmm. right? Yes. By yourself. But that like, when I think of tents, because we go tent camping, but we have like the eight person Coleman tent, you know, it's got a porch, it's, it's got, you know, zippers, all this stuff. And, and it, you put it up with stakes and everything. Is that, I know that you're not going to have that big of a tent, but is that the same kind of tent that you use on the trail or is there specific like trail tenting? 
Yeah. I mean, it's a backpacking tent. So it's specifically, like you said, similar. I had, I had a freestanding tent, so I still had poles and stakes and, and all of that, but it was a two person tent. So it could fit me and all of my belongings. Um, but it's a backpacking tent. So the material is meant to be significantly lighter. Um, cause the name of the game with through hiking is you want to have as light of a backpack as possible. Um, cause more pounds means more pain. So, um, my tent was probably three pounds. Um, but I chose because I wanted to have like a freestanding tent with poles. Um, yeah. So that, that was what I found worked best for me, but same kind of thing, same kind of tent, but just lighter, probably a little less durable because it is so light, but yep. You're sleeping every night. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And so the tent itself is like, it's like this nylon or whatever material it is heavy enough, obviously, but, um, it's, it's not really protection. You know, it's not like you're locked in a house at night where nobody's going to get in. And, you know, I mean, <clears throat> we've had even raccoons just kind of cut through the tent material with their nails. So, you know, what, how did you feel being a woman alone and your only protection per se is this sheet of nylon? Um, this was actually one of my greater fears about the trail, to be honest. Um, because like I said, I go camping in Idaho with my partner and our friends. And we even went last summer and there was one night where the dog was barking. So I knew there were animals out there and I got no sleep because I was so nervous. And I, I woke up and I looked at my partner and I said, this is why I don't know if I can do the Pacific Crest Trail. I'm, I am scared. Am I ever going to sleep on trail? But to be honest, after you're hiking 20 to 25 miles a day, you're just so tired that you don't really worry about that. Um, <laughs> you don't care anymore. <laughs> I know. It's like as long as I can get some peace and quiet. But no, it's just something to be mindful of. And a lot of that is, you know, I've had friends who have had their tents chewed through by mice, chewed through by by deer. And I was very lucky that that did not happen to me because I was... Um, pretty careful about my food storage um, situation. So I didn't have those problems, but yes, that was a very real fear of mine starting the Pacific Crest Trail. But oddly enough, once I got out there and once I kind of saw that there's so many other really wonderful people on trail, um, I I did feel safe. You know, you're very much in the back country, so it's not Typically, it's not just anybody that can walk in and see this young girl camping by herself. Like it it is, it's all, it's mainly Pacific Crest Trail hikers. So it's these people with the same dream and goal. And there were lots of solo female hikers that sometimes I would camp with. So more often than not, I was camping with other people nearby. Um, I wasn't always totally alone. So yeah, you just, I just got comfortable and kind of trusting the community a little bit. Um, obviously still trusting my gut if I needed to, but for the most part, I, it was all really wonderful people that, you know, we're kind of all in this together with this main goal of walking from Mexico to Canada. So so the people that you came in contact with, um, were they mostly your age, like mostly late 20s, early 30s, or did you see a big range? You know, were they 
people my age out there for, for instance, like older people? Absolutely. Um, I was really surprised by the age range too. Some, this was people's post undergrad graduation um, adventure, but then also ranging from people who have just retired and now have the flexibility to come out and do this. I've met a lot of retired people. I hiked and camped with quite a few for, for a little while who, you know, older gentlemen that are just mountain men that had done the Appalachian trail previously. And um, yeah, just a very wide range of people. And for a very people from all over the world to a lot of Europeans, um, a lot of Canadians. So yeah, people from all over the globe come to, of all ages and shapes and sizes come and do the Pacific Crest Trail. That's an awesome cultural experience too. I mean, you're, you know, you're interacting with everyone and, um, and in nature. So you're not just interacting with people, obviously, you're also interacting with your surroundings and you've got weather to deal with and um, scenic views and, mountain cliff drop-offs and things like that that I can imagine um you know that's the mom in me like expecting you to look over the corner and, and you're just like waiting to fall but um what what uh, what was the most amazing scene for you um it's definitely hard to just pick one but for probably one of the most beautiful sections was between um, it's a town in California called Mount Shasta to Etna. So in between those two towns, it's something called the Trinity Alps Wilderness. Um, and it's in Northern California. And on the Pacific Crest Trail, you really never hear anybody talk about the beauty of Northern California. But this was, the mountains were jagged and beautiful. And there were, it was the middle of summer. So there was alpine lakes everywhere. And we were swimming every day at lunch in all these different alpine lakes and um, yeah, those were some of the most beautiful scenes. Just, yeah, swimming in these lakes every day and um, it was very cool. It was an amazing experience. So you're you're not just walking. You're not just hiking all day long. I mean, that's, that's kind of what it sounds like. But, but you know, yeah. when you when you think about it, what are what are some of the like, did you have activities? <laughs> you know, like, were there other things going on? Yeah. So it, it is mainly hiking. Um, you know, in the summer, the days are longer. So we were able to do 25 miles a day, but also take an hour and a half lunch to go swimming. Um, same thing if we were camping by a lake that night, we'd go camping, you know, or we'd go swimming before uh, before dinner, before bed. But for the most part, it it is mainly hiking. And as much as it's awesome to take the breaks and swim in the lakes, you know, somebody's looking at the clock being like, okay, we kind of have to get going if we're going to make our miles today. So a lot of times you have a goal of mileage in your mind that you do want to make, but so it is about finding the balance of stopping to smell the roses and getting to swim in the lakes, but also, you know, you want to make your miles. So it is mainly hiking. Though. <laughs> so, um, okay. I mean, I have so many questions still. It did you ever see or read um, Wild by Cheryl Strayed? Did you read I it did. before you went? I did. Okay. So that's obviously in my head. And, you know, if our listeners haven't haven't heard that, uh, heard of that, they should definitely look that one up. But the pack itself weighs how much? Typically, you want your base weight to be between 
I want to say 10 and 20 pounds is usually, but your base weight is all of your gear. Um, it's not including food or water. Um, so typically I would say my pack probably weighed between 25 and 40 pounds, depending on how much food or water I was carrying at the time. So where, obviously when you start and you started again, where in Mexico? Yep. It's called Campo. It's by the Mexico, California border. Okay. You're obviously not packing all of the food that you need for your whole trip, you know, at the beginning. Um, how does that, how does the planning of that part, you know, what's involved in that? So at, at first, to be honest, I don't even remember how I started planning for it at first, but you know, you're kind of looking at where is my next town or resupply? You know, sometimes when you're hiking, you'll pass these tiny little towns with tiny little general stores. Um, and you kind of look ahead and say, okay, where is that? How many miles is that? And now how many miles am I doing a day? So you kind of figure out about how many days worth of food you need. And it usually was ranging anywhere from two days to sometimes six days. And carrying six days of food is very heavy, um, especially when you're eating as much as hikers do, which is a lot of food. So um, yeah, it is just planning about when your next town is or where there might be a um opportune place to resupply we call it as you know you have to go into resupply everything and along with that along with the food that's when you you know do your laundry and shower and all that so it's usually between two and six days and and water too i mean water's heavy water you get on trail though um so there there's a little app called far out which i could not have done the trail without everybody uses it and that's kind of a um a guide. It's your navigation of where the trail is. And it's also tells you about water sources and reliable water sources or um, I'm trying to think what else and other hikers comments on it. So you can see like, Oh, yesterday somebody commented that this little stream was flowing really well. So you just get your water from the trail. Um, do you have to use those little pills to like clear the water or do you, do you- just drink it? No, I use, it's called a Sawyer squeeze and it's a, um, it's just a water filter, um, that I water, I filter my water through the entire time on trail. So, but yeah, you do have to plan ahead and say, oh my gosh, so there's not water for 15 miles and I'm in the desert. So that means you have to carry like three liters of water, which is very heavy. That's almost an extra 10 pounds. So, um, yeah, it's a lot of just planning and looking ahead on this app and seeing, okay, where's the next water source. And it just kind of, you know, at first that's something you really have to think hard about, but after a month in, it just kind of becomes second nature, um, which is a, was a really weird thing to experience that now my life just revolves around, you know, how much food do I need? How much water do I need? Where's the next water stop? Where's the next food stop? So your life becomes really simple like that. Do you miss that part? I mean, I know it's only been a week, but yeah. So maybe not yet. Um, part part of the simplicity I miss. It, it was like a very freeing, I guess may, might be the word. Is yeah, just getting your water from a little flowing stream and filtering it, and like that's your water. It felt it felt cool. I felt very like connected to nature. Just to that's where you're getting what you need, right? That's awesome. Oh my gosh. Um, 
I don't even know, like my thoughts are flying because there's just so much that you've experienced over these, you know, six months. What was the, should we start with best or worst <laughs> experience? Oh, you can start with the worst. <laughs> okay. So what was the worst experience throughout that trip? So I think maybe, maybe just because this is the most recent. Um, so like I said, I finished October 12th. Um, and I was in, it, it was getting very cold. Um, so yeah, again, this is just fresh in my mind because it was the most recent thing now that we were entering October and I'm, you know, above 8,000 feet elevation. The worst was just waking up and being freezing. Um, quite honestly, just cause again, first thing that comes to mind, cause it was the most recent, um, yeah, waking up you know, I already have my hat on and my down booties and my sleeping bag and I'm, you know, warm in my sleeping bag, but then having to get out of your tent and just know that you're going to be freezing for the next three or four hours. Um, pretty much. Uh, yeah. Having to take down your tent when your hands are numb because they're so cold or, and then, yeah, just having to hike and your, yeah, your hands are feeling numb. It, it was, that was a really challenging part was having to the, the weather and the climate and just dealing with the cold temperatures was beginning to get very difficult for me. So if you had started earlier in the year down by Mexico, so you started in May, if you had started in, let's say April, then you would have finished in September. Would that have been wiser? Is that, like, is there a specific time period that people normally do this trail? So people that are starting in Mexico start in March, April, and May. Those are the three months um, that you can, you can start in Mexico. This year was a particularly difficult year because the amount of snow they received in the Sierra Nevadas, um, it was like over 300%. Um, it, it was just very... Lots of snow. So even people that were starting in March were now hiking in the snow in the desert. So to be honest, mm -hmm. there's their ideal time. Most people would say April would be the ideal time, but you're going to have challenges either way, whether it being, you know, you're starting in Mexico, but it's actually really cold and there's still snow on the ground in Southern California, which there is sometimes. So it, it really just depends. And this year, I chose a very difficult year to hike the Pacific Crest Trail. Um, I'm not sure if you know that most people, um, the Sierra Nevada section, most people went around it because of the amount of snow, which I chose to do as well, um, because I didn't want to be mountaineering in dangerous snow conditions. I wanted to be hiking. Um, so yes, I, I went around that section and came back to it later. So what I did is not usually the normal, um, but regardless, hiking in October, you're going to have some colder fall temperatures. And that's just what I was experiencing for, for the last two weeks or so. Mm. I don't like the cold. <clears throat> that's why we moved to Florida. <laughs> that's why Connecticut was out for us. Um, okay, so... The cold weather was the worst. What was the best? The best. Um, so probably because most of the trail I'm hiking in the summer, 
um, especially so on the opposite, the desert was very, very hot. So in order to beat the heat, I was waking up at 4.30 in the morning to get as many miles as I could in before it was um, very hot. So probably catching the, catching the sunrise and hiking with the sunrise a lot of mornings was probably one of the best. Um, some people dealt with the heat a lot better than I did, so they were not waking up at 4.30, but I, I kind of liked my quiet mornings where there wasn't a lot of other people on trail and you're in the desert and yeah, just hiking with the sunrise. And it's, it was really beautiful. I really enjoyed my early mornings and that was probably one of my favorite parts of, of trail. Did you end up making those decisions based like solely on yourself or were there times where you're like, Oh, I don't really want to leave these people yet. You know, was there ever any like group decision? Yes. So as trail went on, so probably more up North, like Oregon and Washington, I had been hiking with the same people for most of the trail. Actually, there was a group of four of us and I kind of realized that I was having much more fun with them than I was alone. Um, I had, hiked alone for a few weeks in Oregon and it was actually, it was just really quiet and lonely. Right. Um, I'm already hiking most of the day by myself, but now at lunch and dinner time, not talking to anybody, it, it gets lonely. And that's how I, I, I felt. So anyways, I had basically decided that it would be better for me to stick with my group. But with that kind of comes the compromise of you might have to do things that you, that, aren't your first pick, right? You do kind of have to compromise if you want to stay with your group. So kind of more up North, you know, whether it was spending more time in a town or, you know, once you're in town, do you want to go out to dinner or eat in, you know, you might just have to compromise doing things that the other people want to do if you want to stick with the group. So towards the end, I was making more of my decisions around staying with my, my family. Um, but, but there were times where I, of course, prioritized myself. You know, the saying is to hike your own hike, um, which I try to remember for a lot of the time because I, I didn't want to regret not doing things I wanted to do. So for the most part, I made sure I was checking in with myself to make sure I was getting out of what I wanted to get out of this experience. Um, so there was a little bit of give and take, but it, it definitely worked out. But in instances like that, I was waking up early by myself um, and I just happened to still be hiking around my friends. Our mileage kind of worked out, but I just liked getting up super early. What did you do during the walking? Like, do you are you plugged in to music or are you just totally engrossed in nature around you? So probably for the first <clears throat> 700, which is the dessert, um, I didn't listen to anything in the desert because I was very paranoid about rattlesnakes. Because, <laughs> um, you know, if they're rattling at you, they're warning you. And I would like to be able to hear that warning. So I was very much listening to just nature and just being in nature. But then it does become a little bit monotonous. So the rest of the trail, I, I was plugged in with just one ear to podcasts, books on tape, music, um, which I didn't mind. I still felt like I was very much immersed in the nature around me, but it is nice. It was nice to listen to some other things. Obviously the Wi-Fi connection is good. I mean, you're using that app you were telling us about, like you're in nature, but still able to be kind of plugged into the world, <laughs> you know, like the rest of the mainstream world. 
Um, at, at times. Um, so the app that you use, it's actually downloaded. So you don't need internet for it. Um, because there are sections of trail where sometimes I wasn't having service for almost a week. Um, so yeah, it, you know, I talked about resupplying, you know, resupplying your food, doing laundry. One of the other chores is making sure you have enough podcasts and music downloaded, <laughs> you know, your audio resupply. Um, so yeah, it was all just things downloaded because most times you wouldn't have reliable internet. You know, sometimes it was nice when you would get surprise Wi-Fi or, you know, service on trail, but for the most time, I didn't mind. Um, as long as I had something download, like, you know, some podcasts to listen to. Um, while I was walking, I didn't mind being unplugged from social media and, um, not being able to text, you know, I had a, um, personal, uh, locator beacon. It's a Garmin. So even when I did not have service, I was checking in with my dad and my partner pretty much every night. Um, so that was more for safety reasons. It's like when you don't have service, if you need help or need to talk to somebody, you can. So that, that was the only way I really stayed somewhat connected when I didn't have service, but um, that was just a big safety thing too. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I, if, if our daughter was, was you doing all of this, I would definitely want to be knowing where she is every night and that, you know, she made it through the day. So I totally get that. So the, you said the internet was fickle, but you enjoyed this. You told me before we started. So I want you to repeat it. You enjoyed the interaction on social because you were posting regularly. So tell us a little bit more about how, you know, how that helped you. Definitely. So, you know, when I was in service, whether it was in town or on trail, we just happened to have service. Um, I did try to stay updated on social media, um, posting and posting Instagram stories, mainly on Instagram. And it was so nice hearing from people that I either don't hear from every day or um, just, yeah, lots of followers and friends and acquaintances that I'm friends with on social media, just hearing their supportive words and hearing people cheer me on from afar. um, Honestly, was very, very helpful. It's on the times when I wouldn't have service for maybe a week, it it does feel isolating. I know some people love the, the quiet and I did at times too, but it's um, yeah, it's, you, you do feel isolated. So it was uh, like, ama- it felt amazing to check back in kind of with the people in my life that have been following my journey and just, yeah, hearing them cheering me on really meant a lot to me. And it really, really helped a lot um, with morale. Um, you know, the Pacific Crest Trail is a marathon, not a sprint. So mm-hmm. it, it along the way. Was there any part of the journey that you would change or, you know, like, I wish I hadn't done that part or I wish I had done this, any, anything, or did you, were you able to accomplish everything and everything that you had hoped for? I think I was able to accomplish everything I had hoped for. Um, You know, in the perfect world, I wanted to do the Pacific Crest Trail from Mexico ending at the Canada border. Um, But this year with the amount of snow that just wasn't possible for me, um, Safety-wise, I didn't want to enter the Sierra where there was a lot of snow and very dangerous water crossings, and I chose to go around it, um, and I kind of had to adjust my expectations, and, you know, there was a little bit of, like, grief with making that decision, um, 
you know, knowing that I'm no longer going to have that continuous footpath from Mexico to Canada. But I, yeah, I, I tried to be flexible and there was really nothing I could do about it other than just still continue to be proud of myself for what I accomplished, even though I didn't do it the traditional way that most people do on a normal snow year. So yeah, there's nothing I really would have changed. I That would just have been my ideal situation, but it doesn't make my journey any less valid or significant to me. So how, tell me again, how many miles is it from top to bottom? Um, 2,650, give or take. Wow. I say so, give or take lots of closures along the ways based off of like, you know, fires going on. So yeah, still a long way. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And, <laughs> and that, you, you just said fires. So this was a high year of fire out West, wasn't it? I mean, did that affect you? Yes, there were a few fire closures. Um, there were three, actually, which is, uh, it's, yeah, another one of those things where you have to adapt to trail, you know, um, you always carry like an extra day of food, or at least I tried to, you know, one day I was just hiking with my friends. And in our way was a big piece of pink tape saying, oh, there's a fire now here with a, a little blurry picture of the route to go around. And then you and you know we ended up hiking twenty miles extra to go around a seven mile section to avoid the fire. Oh my so gosh! It'd be frustrating and a little bit demoralizing, but the only thing you can do is keep pushing and keep putting one foot in front of the other. And yeah, so yeah, there you just have to be aware with the fires and follow the um, the recommendations of the PCTA, and that's what we did and. Yeah, you just got to roll with it. <laughs> okay, so we're going to kind of bring this all together. What would you say to somebody who's thinking about doing this? Um, that if it is your dream and if it's what you want to do, like you can do it. Um, you don't need to have extensive backpacking experience or expert survival instincts, you know, just do your research before I had wanted, I wanted to do this so bad. And I decided that there was no reason for me to make any excuses as to why I couldn't do it. So just, just go for it. There's so many resources. There are so many people doing blogs about their, you know, ideal gear that you should get and different information about all the things you might encounter on trail and how to best handle them. And if you just educate yourself before, go in with a little bit of knowledge on, you know, what you're going to need to survive, you know, you can do it. I started off with only one night of backpacking experience and the community is such a huge help too. And the community is there. So if if you know why you want to do it and that you want to do it, you can. Um, any, anybody can do it if you if that's your dream. And that's what I did. And I didn't want to make excuses for why I couldn't or shouldn't do it. So, so it's definitely a recommended experience. Yes. Yes. If you're, <laughs> if you're into the, um, you know, you have to embrace the suck a little bit is what they say out there. So if you can kind of laugh at yourself while things might be not the best, then it's the experience for you. <laughs> All right. Very good. So you're the youngest guest I've had. So you've got a different perspective on life. 
at this stage of your game, what do you think is, what would be a, um, you know, Jamie's biggest nugget of information for living a, a wild, but awesome life. So I, same thing about the uh, PCT, I would say that just, if you have a dream or if there's something that you always wanted to do, but thought for some reason that you couldn't do it. Um, I think that that's a lie and that you're, you know, obviously everybody has their own circumstances, but there, there's no limits. You can do these things. It's just like what excuses or barriers are in the way. Um, Cause it's, it's worth it to manifest those dreams. And yeah, I, I just think the rest are, excuses and if there's something that you feel like will fulfill your you know will be fulfilling then i think it you should break everything down to make those those dreams happen that's kind of what i did um yeah it's not going to be easy but i think it's worth it to take the risk and make your life a little bit more difficult just to have these these adventures well, that's awesome. Well, thank you very much. We appreciate you sharing those adventures and experiences with us. And um, I don't know if you want people to be able to contact you if they have questions and want to ask you. Um, but we can, if you know, if you want to share that, we can put that in the notes at the, the for the podcast. Otherwise, thank you so much for being here with us again. We really appreciate you and wish you all the best in Idaho and beyond. Um, any any last words or? No, just thank you so much again. I, I'm happy to talk about this. This is I know that there's a lot that goes into it, but I appreciate being able um, helping me share my experience. And it's been great chatting with you. You too. You too. I miss you. You too. Hopefully see you. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. All right. Well, thank you everyone for joining us. And um, we are always happy to be here with you and share these wonderful life experiences of others so that we can then maybe inspire you to do a little bit more with your one wild life. We will see you next time. Thanks for being here. Beware the wild animals. We question everything, looking for opportunities to learn and grow. We're living our adventure, our one wild life, and always on the lookout for others to join us. Please join in the journey. Hit subscribe to follow this show. Leave a review to let me know how we're doing. I'd appreciate it. And if you're someone who fits the description, I'd love to talk about having you on the show. Your story might be just what someone else needs to inspire them to live their one wild life. To contact me, you can visit my website, tjpurits.com, or head over to social media. All you have to do to find me on Facebook, Instagram, Goodreads, and Twitter is search for TJ Puritz Author. Thanks again for being here, and I'll see you on the next excursion.